This is Ball on Blast, part of the On Blast Podcast Network, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you like it, then subscribe and tell your friends. Holla. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind for tuning in once again to the Ball on Blast podcast. My name is Sheldon Alexander, and as always, I'm here with my guy, Andrew Webster Webby. What is good, my dude? How you doing? Yo, I'm doing well, man. Two game sevens, first time since 1979. We've got our NBA Finals matchup set up, and it's the Cavs and Warriors. Shocker. And I was talking to a lot of people today that seemed kind of bummed, like disappointed. But we were saying this earlier, like if it does end up Cavs, Warriors in the finals, that means some crazy stuff in the playoffs has, has happened. Exactly. And uh, and crazy stuff in the playoffs has happened not only <laughs> on the court, but man, off the court as well. We are blessed in this era of the NBA, but also this era of social media because all of social media last night, Webby. Here's the thing. I, I went for a little walk after work. I went to have some oh. some lunch or some dinner, sorry, yeah. on a patio. You know, I was kind of tuned out. I was plugged out of, of the social media world for a couple hours. Sometimes you got it. Right? Sometimes you got to log off. It happens. I get home. I sit down on my couch, turn on the old laptop. And all of a sudden, the first thing I saw last night was about Roseanne. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a pretty big story. Then I get a text message. As I'm reading about Roseanne, I get a text message that says, man, Brian Colangelo. And I'm like, Brian Colangelo? Okay. As I was looking at that, you sent me the message that was just like, you got to catch up. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, Pusha T responded. And and that just like, that was the three things that just hit me in a row. And then I spent the next like two hours, honestly, deep diving on the internet. And reading memes. Yo, same. So last night, uh, my uh, betrothed, my beautiful fiance, Ashley, made us some amazing turkey burgers. We had a great dinner, uh, you know, feasting out. And then, you know, I was like, all right, babe, I'm just going to look at my phone. And I literally (laughs) fired up Twitter right as the Pusha T track dropped. Oh, man. It was the first thing that I saw. And I was like, it was like, wow, Pusha's crazy for this one so i had to I, I played it and i was just like oh my god and so i was enjoying all the memes and all the great stuff that was going along with the push it yeah. uh, uh track that dropped and then about half an hour to an hour after he dropped the track i saw the ringer article and i was like whoa brian colangelo is using burner like what does this mean and i just read the first two paragraphs of the story and i was like I got it right away. I was like, oh, my God. And then I just kind of consumed it all through Twitter as people were reading it. And like you said, we're, I was deep diving. I was, get, I was taking all the memes. And then at about 11, I laid down in bed and I just read the whole article <laughs> front to back and, and just to get, the, to get the full breadth of it. And it was – I mean that's Pulitzer Prize winning shit right there, man. It's incredible, right? It is like the – you summed it up there with the 2018 – it just sums up this era of journalism. Because it's not like they did anything crazy, right? They went on to Twitter no, well, and searched a bunch of stuff, right? Well, like, no, they ha- I, the, the analytics guy who, who gave them like this, this well, nameless you mean analytics. Sam Hinkie. Well, we're going to get to it, right? <laughs> but that's, I'm hoping that's Sam Hinkie. But somebody came to the ringer and said, hey, 
Like I've got this kind of algorithm that that shows a lot of consistencies with Brian Colangelo and these five basically egg accounts. It was an anonymous tip, right? That's the story. Yeah. As my phone rings in the background and my phone never <laughs> rings. House oh, phone. Yo, what is going on? Hey, it's crazy. Ovi just scored on a one timer. Let's make it all happen. Hey, right everything is happening. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. Do we want to start here? Do we want to just start with Colangelo or do we want to start with the game seven basketball? What do, what do we want to do here? What do you think? Okay, let's, I, I think we should start with the actual games. The actual <laughs> okay, seven. yeah, because once we because get going on that, Colangelo, that might take a while. Exactly, that might take a while. Exactly. And this is an NBA podcast. <laughs> and while sometimes it is a Twitter podcast, <laughs> we, we do have games to talk about. We have got an NBA finals matchup set up for, for a fourth straight year it's so crazy right and you you said it to start the pod we told you guys if we got to Cavs warriors we know that it would be a great time getting there and the rockets warriors it surpassed my expectations right i wasn't expecting it to be that much of a series like i expected well, close Cavs games Celtics? oh, well, I, oh I, mean, I was getting there i was getting there but you know warriors rockets that series just back back and forth blows you're kind of there was a moment there where it was like hold on can the warriors actually lose this series yeah and then chris paul got hurt how much do you think the the chris paul injury affected the outcome of that series webby yeah i, I really do i i really think it affected them a lot not i mean just because they were so set up to play that way that they really built that team around mm-hmm. which is threes and layups yeah and with Chris Paul there, you kind of had that that bridge over the gap between the threes and the layups. Uh, he was somebody who who can shoot the ball uh, really well, but can also drive and create and hit those little pill-up two-point jumpers when you need them, right? Yeah. And to not have that in the two most important games of the series uh, it was really tough. Not only that, but like we've said, Chris Paul, love him, hate him. Guy is tough. Guy is Tough ombre, and they did it to me, man. They didn't have that toughness when the going got tough there, especially in game seven. There was nobody on the Rockets that that, that could overcome that. Now, listen, we both love PJ Tucker as well, but I'm talking about somebody who can really lead you down the stretch, somebody that you can count on consistently on the offensive end of the for sure. Was it that crazy game five, the ending of game five, we really saw how important Chris Paul was to that team. Because if you look at the Rockets failures in the past and, you know, more specifically James Harden's failures in the past, right? It's normally down the stretch. It's normally in those moments where you want to see your superstar take that next step. And we've seen James Harden struggle in those situations now multiple years in a row in the playoffs. And Chris Paul was supposed to come in and help him do that. And I know a lot of the focus was was put on the missed three-pointers, right? Which was terrible, which was atrocious. What was it, 27 straight they missed? They missed 27 in a row. So I know that's a crazy number, and that's what everyone's going to focus on. And trust me, that is an abomination at like the highest level. But that's also where you see them missing Chris Paul, because Chris Paul was the one that gives them that other option in terms of what their offense is, right? Yes, James Harden can shoot threes. Yes, Gordon can shoot threes. But... Those guys rely on their shots more than Chris Paul, who can get in the lane, get a layup, but also maybe get in the lane and get someone a, a wide open three, right? Instead of this, the, some of the weird contested threes that James Harden was taking down the stretch, there are a couple there where 
I wasn't even sure if he was trying to score. Do you know what I right. mean? Like it, it looked like he was trying to, to hunt fouls more so than he was trying to score. It was just a really odd look, but no doubt and that's they missed Chris Paul. Yeah, hundred percent. Now the things definitely like that game seven. I thought that things really turned for them. Like there was that one turning point, and that was for me that four point play mm-hmm. that they didn't count the basket on. It was a huge momentum thing. Yeah, and, and it just seemed like before that they they were keeping you know the Warriors at bay. But once they didn't get that call, it seemed to turn that tide in the game seven. And then, man, I don't know how to compare the the Warriors to anything other than an avalanche. (laughs) It's crazy. You know, and once that snow is on top of you, that's it. You know, you're done. Once that third quarter hits and I don't know, man, it's crazy to watch because there are moments where you're wondering their offense doesn't look good at all. You're questioning how much do they really miss Igudala. You know I'm questioning Steve Kerr because I'm like, what is Steve Kerr doing? <laughs> right? The fouls with Clay Thompson. Yeah, there's like the three fouls in the first quarter. Oh yeah, there was so much going on with the Warriors, and you're watching them thinking this game is right there for the Rockets to take. And I know that people, you know, again, we're, we're going off. Okay, they missed 27 shots, and that is crazy, right? But if you just break that down and think, you know, I saw some crazy stat. It was something to the effect of. They were 7 of 44 from 3, right? And the likelihood of a team that shoots as well as the Rockets do throughout the entire regular season and having them miss 27 straight shots was basically 1 in 72,000. Those are the odds of a team that shoots as well as the Rockets do or have or did during the regular season. For them to then miss 27 in a row, it's 1 in 72,000. So you you think like if they don't go like seven of forty four, if they go twelve of forty four, right? Do you know what I mean? Like not even that much better, but just like no, a little bit better. All needed was a couple of more. Yeah, but that stretch just I mean, just ended them. And here's the thing too, right? Because I think I tweeted about this during the game while the game was going on. But to me, a big factor is we know that. There's so much focus in sports, in all of sports, on stats, right? And we talk about it all the time on the pod, how stats can tell you a lot, but it doesn't give you the whole entire picture, right? So it's fine that you can base your entire offense on shooting threes and layups, right? But And the numbers back that up. The math will back that up. Obviously, it's better taking a three than it is taking a long two. A long two. For sure. The math will always back that up. But what the math doesn't show you is what the effect is on your legs trying to take a three when you're tired, when your team's only playing seven players a night, and you're in game seven against the best team in the league. And also, on top of that, the same way that the the Rockets were hunting Steph Curry on defense, so James Harden was just trying to get switches onto Steph Curry, they were also doing the same thing back to the Rockets and hunting James Harden on defense. So now James Harden has to guard up every single time on the defensive end, you're going to be tired down the stretch. And and KD even pointed that out, right? KD said, we knew James dribbles a lot and he's going to get tired come the end of the game. And that's kind of what happened, no? Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. The the dribbling and you're forcing him to play defense is is so tough. It's so tough. Because the way that the Warriors move that ball around too, it's like everybody has to be kind of at their tip top uh, athletically and in shape to chase them around, chase them around screens, chase them off screens. And then if you were also adding on top of that, that 
your offense is based on heaving up these long shots, like you say, that take a little more toll on your legs. I mean, it's it's really tough to beat a great team like the Warriors like that. It is very tough to beat a team like the Warriors. And, you know, it's James Harden. At the end of the day, P.J. Tucker, shout out to P.J. Tucker. He he Quite is great. yeah he is a key piece that you would want on your team if you're a championship contender he's one of those like glue guys that we talk about that you need that would be like the finishing piece that you want on a championship team because they, he had games where he was just bullying Durant in the post grabbing rebounds dominating the boards Hitting corner threes like yeah man great he was one of their better shooters he might have been I mean with Chris Paul going out late and James Harden struggling for the last few games. And Ariza not being able to hit the broad side of a barn. Ariza turning into John Starks, right? Like, <laughs> wow. Like, just a tough, tough performance. And it, it sucks for those guys, too, because, again, they're right there. Like, they built the team. They took the chance. And it, it's sad. It sucks. You know what really sucks about it? Because, you know, a lot of people probably thought the Warriors get Kevin Durant and nobody else has a chance. You should just give up, whatever. Everyone's playing for second place. And instead, the Rockets decided, Daryl Morey, decided, no, 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 we're going to go for this. We're going to swing for the fence. We're going to bring in Chris Paul. We're going to build the rest of our team around what we want to do, which is yeah. play defense. They got the right guys in terms of getting P.J. Tucker. Gerald Green gave them solid minutes in terms of being a depth guy, right? And it it put people in their rightful places. You had Eric Gordon coming off the bench, being a great sixth man. And yeah. you built this team perfectly to go up against the Warriors, right? Like, and you just have the worst shooting game you could possibly have in a game seven. It, it sucks, man. It sucks. And I hope the moral that we take out of this was you still got to try. Swing for the fence. I hope this offseason teams do the same thing. Swing for the fence and try to just not get wiped out by the Warriors. Yeah. I was going to say believe in your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Believe that your strategy and the way that you're building this team is good enough to beat anybody in the league. And that's what I thought that Maury really did well yeah. uh, with the with the Rockets is that a lot of people said that that kind of style of basketball would never work. No way you're going to beat the Warriors. Uh, th listen, it's just not it's not feasible in today's NBA. And he said, you know what? Like you said, he doubled down and he brought in the perfect player to add to that system to uh, make their strengths even stronger and uh, help uh, soften those weaknesses a little bit. And you know what? If we all know that Maury. Daryl Morey is not done tinkering with the uh, roster on this team. Nope. And uh, I just hope that he, you know, keeps going after those same players that are going to let the Rockets uh, play the style of basketball that they're the best at. De and that's also a reason that I don't think that they're going to go out and get LeBron. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Because I, I don't think LeBron, that's not the style that he'd be best in, you know? Yeah, I don't know how that fits, right? And it's kind of like... LeBron, you'd have so many possessions where LeBron's just standing watching James Harden dribble. And I'm not sure that's yeah. what LeBron wants to do. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, maybe it changes as LeBron heads into like the next phase of his career where he might not be the most dominating guy like all the time on a team. Do you know you know what I'm trying to say here? Because oh, he's still gonna be LeBron, but he's not gonna be the exact same LeBron two years from now, three years from now, right? And I think that next move. I still don't even know if he wants to be a guy that's just standing in the corner, almost in that Trevor Ariza role. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. And it sounds even crazy to think about, but Chris Paul took a step back, and there were moments where the reason why this worked was they balanced Chris Paul's minutes with James Harden, right? 
Chris Paul knew when he could take turns. Now you got to do that with three guys. I don't yeah, know how I good of a fit that is. And plus, if three of your guys in crunch time are uh, James Harden, Chris Paul, and LeBron, we already know because we're watching what LeBron has to do this season, he's relaxing a lot on defense, right? James Harden yeah. doesn't play defense, and Chris Paul <laughs> is getting up there in age. So now who are your other two guys that you're playing with them? You're going to have to give up Capella, so it's not going to be him, right? Can't be Capella if you're getting LeBron. Right. Can you still afford P.J. Tucker? Do you have to give him up too? Like, it, it's tough to build your team if that's just going to be, if it's those three guys as a centerpiece. I don't know. That's that's tough. And again, I don't know if I'm LeBron. I want to go west. That's still the biggest factor to me. I don't know why you'd want to go west. I completely understand. I completely agree with you there. You'd want to play more of the Knicks, more of the Nets. <laughs> you know. Bring on Oladipo. But uh, <laughs> yeah. question, last question about the Rockets here. And of course, we'll get to the Warriors when we talk about the NBA Finals. But last question with the with the Rockets here: Is it time that we start questioning James Harden as a superstar? I say this because LeBron's on a tier on his own where LeBron gets crushed all the time, right? Right. Steph doesn't really get crushed if he doesn't show up in big moments. Same with KG, maybe KG, KD, maybe Russ does. But for the longest time, if we're talking about MVP caliber players. You get called out if you have these playoff no-shows that James Harden's had the past couple years. Is it time? I don't know if this was a – well, I don't think this was a playoff no-show. You got to game seven of the Western Conference Finals. And then no-showed. He had a tough game seven. He had a tough game seven. He did. But he wasn't playing with his complete team as well. Like True. I, I saw that Skip Bayless tweet of, you know, uh, James Harden is a perfect regular season player or whatever. I nah, think that's, that's going bunk, too far. Man. I, that's bunk, man. He's top five player in the NBA for sure. For sure. And you know what? It was funny. Remember KD was on uh, Bill Simmons earlier and they said, you know, of I, one of the my favorite questions that he was asked was, you know, um, of – Westbrook, KD, and Harden, who is who from Migos. Okay. Right? And Harden was uh, takeoff, right? Okay. I don't know if Harden's takeoff anymore, man. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. okay. Uh, I think he may have, uh, may have moved up into offset role. Ooh. Because what he did this Hold season. Hold on. So KD's Quavo? Yeah, KD's Whoa, Quavo. whoa. See, I don't. I'm, anyways. Yeah, we'll move on. Well, I'm, We'll move on, but okay. I mean, this is something that we could we could really discuss. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I, I think that Russ has really done a lot uh, over the last two years mm-hmm. to put himself in. Listen, obviously LeBron's in that first tier, mm-hmm. but if you think that Harden's not in that second tier, you're crazy. No, 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 for sure, Harden is right there. He's definitely right there. It's 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 as ridiculous of an argument. Game, Sorry, go. I on. don't think losing a game seven of the Western Conference Finals makes you a regular season player and not a playoff performer. Yeah. I thought he had a I thought he had a really good playoffs. Do you know what it is, Webby? It's like the same little nitpicking that we do when we're talking about the difference between uh LeBron Jordan versus LeBron James, right? What did I just yeah. say? Did I say LeBron, LeBron Jordan? LeBron Jordan. Is that what I just said? I thought that's so. a Freudian slip oh, right wow, there. That's terrible. But it's the same thing that we do when we're talking about Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, right? The little things that we nitpick at to when you're talking about the level of greatness at the top. I feel like it's the same thing on a lesser level, obviously. We're talking about James Harden and being 
that top dog in the NBA. And I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to win MVP. So you're in that conversation. And we saw game five. I don't know if they win that game without Chris Paul. Right. And I feel like, right. you, you know, down the stretch, you're the MVP. That's where you need your team needs you the most. And I don't know if we saw that down the stretch from, from James Harden in crunch time when his team really needed it. And Hey, you got to go through those battles, but you might be right, Webby, at the end of the day. The same way that I say I'm not going to knock LeBron James for losing in the NBA Finals to the Golden State Warriors, at the end of the day, I can't really knock James Harden that much for losing in Game 7 to the Warriors as well. To the Warriors, right? you know? They're, they're a juggernaut. Yeah, without Chris Paul in the lineup for the last two games, too. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I want to see what the Warriors end up do- the Warriors, the Rockets end up doing next year. I think it was you, you brought that up last week, how... Uh, James Harden really talked about how much he learned from playing with Chris Paul for a year. Right. Are we talking about that? I think so. And I think they elaborated with it during the broadcast. They were talking about how, you know, there are moments where there are times they're on the road or whatever, and, and James Harden's about to go out, and he goes to see, check on Chris Paul, like, just see what he's saying, and Chris Paul's, like, watching game tape. And he sits down with them to, like, watch, and James Harden's, like, ready to go out, and Chris Paul's like, nah, like, I'm... I'm taking in this game tape right now. Like, this is what I'm doing. And I feel like for Harden to take that next step, he might have to do that. I mean, the lessons that we got from LeBron, and and I'll kind of use this as a segue into LeBron. Right. There's really levels to this shit, right? And, like, LeBron, to me, just proved that he is a notch above the Steph Curry's, the Kevin Durant's, James Harden's, the Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, like those guys. LeBron, what he did to get his team to the NBA Finals, man, I I, I said he's hater proof. There's still a lot that, of haters, but I feel I, like those haters crazy. are looking sillier and sillier by the day. No, I mean that picture of uh, the the still of LeBron with uh, uh, Marcus Morris all over his back, the <laughs> yes. one that he's still. He still has a layup. I mean, that that pretty much epitomizes LeBron James' season this year. Just putting everybody on his back. Now, he played – that that was his 100th game, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, pretty did sure game play, seven was his 100th game or 101st, but I think it was 100. Did he play all 82? He did. So, like, here's the thing. <laughs> James Harden had an amazing season. He did. Shooting the ball. But honestly, man, if I had a vote, it would – like – 82 games, man. Like, he didn't take one night off. He's the best player in the game. We're at the same point as we were with Jordan, where we just don't want to give him the MVP every year. Why? (laughs) What, because it would get boring? Yeah, it's true. If LeBron James isn't the most valuable player, I don't know who is. Yeah, I know that James Harden is probably going to win MVP because the votes are already in and all that. But honestly, you're, you're totally right. If you look at the end of this season and LeBron James is not the most valuable player, I feel like next year they need to change the definition of what most valuable player award means because there is no doubt that LeBron James is the most valuable player that we've seen in this season. And there's a huge look at de- their team. Yeah. I mean, we say this every week, man. <laughs> that this is easily the weakest team that LeBron's ever brought to the play to the final. Well, you know, Teammates aside for a second, but just like what that team went through this entire year and for LeBron to be at the forefront, to be the leader of a team that brought in a bunch of veterans, right? And tried to figure out how that was going to work, right? That failed. 
So then you have to deal with the Isaiah Tom. Well, first off, let's let's start from the beginning of the offseason, right? Their GM doesn't get brought back. Their second star player, Kyrie Irving, demands a trade. LeBron wants to keep Kyrie Irving, but they're unable to do it. They end up trading Kyrie Irving for an injured Isaiah Thomas. Now, your locker room dynamics switch up because you get a lot of veteran guys in there, whether it's Jay Crowder, whether it's Isaiah Thomas, whether it's Dwayne Wade, all these guys, and it's not really working. Okay, Isaiah Thomas comes back, but not only does he come back, he doesn't really fit in, and he's talking about it in the media. Your team is imploding in the media. <laughs> Then you get a trade to blow up half your team, change up your team. So you bring in a whole new core for your team mid-season, okay? That have never played together. Never played together before. You have J.R. Smith throwing soup at an assistant coach. (laughs) Something that we keep forgetting, right? Dude, I forgot about it until somebody mentioned it after they won game seven. Like Somebody tweeted like, well, I guess sometimes you just got to throw soup on your assistant coach. It's like... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right? That happened this year. That was a thing that happened. Uh, Kyle Korver lost his brother and missed a bunch of time this season. Like, just how do you deal with something like that as a teammate, as a friend, watching your one of your brothers go through that, right? And I mean brother in terms of, like, your teammates, right? Yeah. Deal with the loss of a family member like that. Like, that's on a serious, serious level, a serious moment in terms of, like, you know, how something like that could possibly happen to a team and and have have that player come back into the fold and and fit fit right in you know like Kyle Korver came back and has been a major part for this team down the stretch Tyron Lue if we don't remember towards the end of the year he had to take a leave of absence because he was dealing with health issues right. like it was just so many things going on with this team throughout then we get to the playoffs and then Kevin Love goes down like it's just been one thing after the other, and the whole time, the one constant has been LeBron James putting in gangster work. It's it's yeah, an incredible I, performance. Just making those teammates look like, not only his teammates, but like we said, Ty Lue as well. <laughs> Ty Lue, maybe not the, the, the greatest coach out there in the NBA, but every time LeBron steps on the court, he makes Ty Lue look like a friggin' genius, man. What did you make of, did you catch the post-game after they were handing out the trophy and LeBron's doing the interview with Doris Burke. I think what people don't understand, um, people that never played the game of basketball, never played team sports, is that only to succeed, it has to be a team effort. You know, I know I get a lot of the headlines, win, lose, or draw, whatever the case may be, but in order to be successful, it's a team game. I learned that from when I was, when I first started picking up a basketball to play organized basketball at, at age nine. So you get all the doubters and people who's never stepped in an arena, who's never played basketball, who's never put on a tank top and shorts, um, who's never played anything organized, always want to try to kill my teammates. And it's unfair to them, um, but I'm always stay true to the game of basketball because the game of basketball always stay true to me. And um, that's why we're going to another finals because my teammates played the hell of the game. Yeah. If you pay attention to the end of that, right, and he says, I'm always going to be true to the game of basketball because the game of basketball has always been true to me. To me, that sums up exactly the legacy that LeBron James has and the Michael Jordan debate and why it doesn't really make sense to me anymore, right? And that the reason is because they're just two different players. Like, think of the arguments we've always had about LeBron versus MJ, right? And it always centers around, well, LeBron doesn't have MJ's killer instinct, whatever that means right. now, right? Because he's hit game winners. He's done all that, but... LeBron doesn't have the rings. Yeah, right? But the killer instinct is always the thing. He doesn't have the the killer instinct like Kobe or Mike or whatever, right? And LeBron, 
has always been to me like the remix of Mike and Magic put together. LeBron is right. always going to make the right basketball play all the time, right? Like that we glorify MJ for the one or two times he passed to Paxton or passed to, to Steve Kerr to hit those shots. But LeBron literally does that during the entire game. And if you were build to, his career on throughout it. his entire career, for sure. But if you were to focus in on game seven, right. And the point that he was trying to make in that post game presser, it's you're watching the first half of that game and the Cavs not named LeBron James cannot make a shot to save their lives. Right. And nobody would have blamed him if LeBron just said, all right, screw this, and just went into chuck mode and just started taking whatever shots, forcing up double teams, doing whatever. Nobody would have blamed him, right? Because it didn't look like anyone on their team was going to hit an open shot for the whole game. But instead, what does LeBron James do? He keeps feeding his teammates, keeps feeding Jeff Green, keeps feeding JR, keeps feeding Corver, and eventually some of them start making shots, right? He feeds Jeff Green so he can get an easy layup. Feeds George Hill late in the game so he can get an easy layup. That's really what he's talking about when he's talking about, you know, that's really what he means when he's talking about he's always going to be true to the game of basketball, right? The game of basketball, these are NBA players. Eventually, they're going to make wide open shots. I just thought that was an amazing, like, look into the mind of LeBron James in terms of what he's thinking and how he goes about the game of basketball. Yeah, these guys can miss shots. I'm still going to continue passing them the ball because I know that these guys can eventually hit a shot and I need them to hit a shot or else we're going to lose anyways. I thought that was genius. And on the other side of it too, it's like those players are like, listen, I, I, I know that I'm playing with somebody who's going to do everything in his power to help us win this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what? Even if I miss this shot, I know it's coming back to me. Exactly. Exactly. He's never – one thing I can say, I I don't know if maybe, you know, maybe Mario Chalmers got it a couple times. I'm trying to think. But I don't recall ever seeing LeBron get mad at someone for missing a shot. Like missing right. a, an open jumper or something. Like I don't know. Maybe I'm sure it's happened, but if it was going to happen, you probably would have thought it would go down during this playoff run, right? Uh, but I don't know. Just an amazing, incredible performance by LeBron James, and also showing a true sign of leadership too, right? Because imagine being those guys, and as you just said, knowing you're always going to get the ball back, but also watching this guy in a post game press conference basically load up and go at all media members that have just been shitting on you the entire playoff run, right? Like, I think yeah. that matters a lot to these those other guys. Like, they got to see that, see him, like, go out on a limb to make sure to be like, no, 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 screw you guys. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Stop going at my teammates. Whether it's true or not, nah, he's, he's not here never, for that. Yeah, he'll never let you know whether he thinks that or not because, like you say, he's a true leader and a true professional. Yeah. Uh, my next question for you, though, Webby, is a lot of talk about whether or not this was LeBron's greatest playoff performance or achievement. Just Game Seven, or just getting, getting this, to the getting this team, this team to the NBA Finals, in which a Game Seven, his second best player was Jeff Green. So I'm, I'm just trying to go back, you know, like so. The only other one that I could think of would be that. But even that first year that he comes back with the Cavs, he still has Kyrie. And Kyrie didn't get injured until – Kyrie got hurt in game, game one. Yeah, game, game one of the one, finals. Right? Kyrie got hurt, yeah. Love went now, down other, against Boston. And Now, numbers-wise, I think that the uh, – I, I think 
his numbers in the last Cavs, the the the, the loss in the Magic. Oh, the loss no, in the, the Magic. Yeah, Magic. Yeah, I think that playoff run he had crazy numbers, and of course, like the number one like playoff game that he had was either against the Pistons or game six against the Celtics, the Celtics in, Boston. in Boston with the Heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with the Heat, right? Yeah. Th- those game for game, those are right up there in the top of my mind. But in terms of a body of work in the postseason, yeah, they, considering that, like we said, he played all 82 games of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not his strongest team that he's had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the absolute sheer audacity of the numbers that he had game in, game out. Other than one game, I think it was the game two in Boston. Yeah, game one or game two, he str- he didn't he he didn't do and he well didn't even all. play the fourth quarter. Yeah. right? yeah, yeah. But other than that, his numbers have been insane in this postseason run. Completely incredible performance by LeBron James. But I think that people like we have a recency bias with everything, right? And I still think his greatest achievement will go down as being coming back from 3-1 against the Golden State Warriors in the finals, especially winning that game seven. And I know everyone always points out Draymond Green wasn't there for one. He was suspended for a game. And I understand that, but you still had to go triple-double, triple-double, and then I think like something ridiculous, a a near triple-double, but 30-plus point performance. 30-plus, yeah. In game game seven, seven, in Golden State against arguably the best team in the history of basketball. That, to me, is LeBron's greatest achievement because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take away from what he just did, but the reality of the situation is that's against the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. This season, he went through Victor Oladipo, DeMar DeRozan, and Al Horford. I'm just saying, like, when we we take a step back... Right, like that part will get romanticized and we won't remember it. But while we're in the moment, I'm just here to remind you: this guy came from three-one down against arguably the best team in the history of basketball, and this team here beat the Raptors. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right, Oh man, amazing! So NBA Finals, Webby, are you excited for these finals? Are you kind of tired of the Warriors versus the Cavs? What what are your what are your thoughts heading into game 1? I don't think you can be tired of the best team in the NBA taking on the best player. Agreed. Uh I, I, now like again, now my prediction is is it, I'm sorry to say is the Warriors in probably 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that you know the force of LeBron can get them one game in Cleveland. But here's the thing, man, it's that if they can if they can do it, the Cavs are going to give them a good run. All right? And anything can happen in the NBA. That's all I'll say. But other than that, it, it, this could be a, a pretty short series. Here's the thing. No Igudala really, really hurts Golden State a lot more than we think. But right. my main thing heading into this series, Golden State are like big-time favorites into this series. And I just think that it's going to be a lot closer than we think. Because what Cleveland does, Golden State – we kind of just saw the blueprint of what how you can beat Golden State, right? And LeBron can he can chill on defense. He can guard whoever's playing center, right? He can guard whoever's playing center. He can guard maybe Draymond, right? Like there are places where LeBron can quote unquote hide on defense, right? So we saw mm-hmm. that. 
we saw the success that the Rockets had when they would switch screens and have James Harden go at Steph Curry. LeBron's going to do the same thing. We just watched him yep. do it against Terry Rozier. But the other thing is LeBron can really control the tempo of the game and slow it down and play at the pace that he wants to play at, right? And I always talk about this because we, we saw it the first year when it was LeBron, Delhi, uh, JR, Shumpert, and they took two games from Golden State that year, right? Remember when there was right. no Kyrie or no Kevin Love? So LeBron right. can control and dictate the pace. And I just think that Golden State, we just saw when things get kind of tough, I don't know if they've played enough close, close games this season that, you know, if Cleveland can keep it tough, keep it close, I mean, I don't, I'm not just going to hand this to Golden State as easily as everyone else is. Am I saying the Cavs are going to win? No, I'm not saying that. But I think it can go at least six games. And once you get into that into that area, I don't know if how many how much problems you want from LeBron James. Again, the, the Warriors so, are very finesse. The Warriors are a very finesse team. And if Tristan can dirty up the game and grab rebounds and dominate the the, the rebounding battle. As he has in the past against the Warriors. Exactly. And if the if the Cavs can get their shooters to finally shoot, get Kyle Korver, I think Korver can play in this series because he can guard. He, oh, yeah. he can hide on defense. He can guard Steph Curry or he can guard Jordan Bell. Like there's there's minutes to be found for a Kyle Korver in this series, right? JR can get his confidence going. I don't know. George Hill is a solid defender. It, it'll be very interesting. I think it'll be a more interesting than people are giving this series credit for. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I don't think it's going to be five games. And I don't want to say the Cavs because I'm not going to be that guy to just throw <laughs> out the Cavs just to say it. Do you know what I mean? But I really right. think that this will be more of a series than people are letting on than it will be. And I'm looking forward uh, to it. I'm excited for it. There's two things. Two big factors. Number one is the health of Kevin Love. Mm -hmm. If Kevin Love isn't playing, uh, I think that that's – I know how important Iguodala is to the Warriors, but if Kevin Love isn't playing, then I don't think the Cavs have much of a shot at all. Yeah. Number number two is can Jeff Green guard Kevin Durant? Hmm. Here's the thing. I don't know if anyone can guard Kevin Durant. Can you send him at Kevin Durant? I think so. I think so. I think between because get, they're going to try. Cause you, yeah, because if you do that, then you have to let Clay, I guess, beat you. And Clay can beat you. Yeah, but no doubt about it. True. The way that but, Clay beats you, though, is you know Clay's a guy that runs around screens and he'll he'll do it that way. And I think that you can you can get by with even Corver guarding Clay Thompson. No, like Clay Thompson's not beating you off the dribble. Do you know what I mean? Like Clay Thompson's going right. to run around screens and stuff, and if he hits a shot, he hits a shot, kind of thing. If you try to deny defense and, and do that, like there's ways that you can try. <laughs> I emphasize this: try to game plan Clay Thompson. I mean, right. Your biggest worries are KD and Steph for sure, and if Iggy's not there, they're going to struggle to score. If you can find a way to to keep Durant and Curry at the 25 mark, not let them get 30 plus. If you can keep the two of those guys down, I don't know. We've seen LeBron do it in the past where he basically just lets Draymond shoot, right? He leaves yeah. Draymond wide open and lets him shoot. Well, I'm gonna be and so that's what the Rockets were doing. Yeah, definitely, right? And I think the blueprint is there for the Cavs. You just saw what the Rockets did, and they probably just ran out of gas and were missing Chris Paul. So if I'm LeBron, 
I'm sitting down with my team, I'm watching tape, and I'm watching all the things that the Rockets did. And I'm saying, Tristan, you can be you can be what Capella was doing. You can be what PJ Tucker was doing, you know? And I'm saying, yeah. look at all these shots that Ariza was getting the whole time, that Gordon was getting the whole time. They need to try, and I know it might be too far gone. They need to try and get something from Rodney Hood too. Oh. I know it might be too that, far gone. I think that I might too. I think you're probably better off getting anything from Jordan Clarkson, <laughs> which is also pretty much too far gone. I think Nan- but, Nance can be a factor in this series, though, no? Against Looney yo, or you know whoever their bigs are. You know how much I love the Nance minutes. I love the Nance yeah, minutes. I'm here for that. I'm definitely here for that. I'm, I'm here for this NBA Finals. As much as people want to talk about how they're they're bored of this matchup, as you said, man, what Bro, more you could kidding you— me? If you told me are for the championship decider in every single sport, you're going to have the best team, possibly the best team in the history of that sport, go up against arguably the best player in the history of that sport, wouldn't you take that in every single every single league, every single year? Of course you people would, no? Com- people complaining too much. It's the last at least four games of basketball we're going to get for a long time. Yeah. So I'm going to watch every minute of it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, there's also something else though, Webby, that we were here for last we night. Talk. We, we got to talk here. And, you know, there's a lot of different avenues to this because obviously it involves the Sixers, which is yes. your team, your squad. It also involves yes. a former general manager, president and general manager of our Toronto Raptors, which makes this Even very the interesting. the current general manager of the Toronto Raptors Yes, as well. there's some shade being thrown at the current general manager and president of the Toronto Raptors. And I'll I'll start here. So basically, for those who don't know, there is an article put out on TheRinger.com. TheRinger.com, for those who don't know, is Bill Simmons' website that he started. And this is super interesting, obviously, as well, because Bill Simmons is a huge Celtics fan. So would he be pushing a narrative to try to disrupt the Mm, up-and-coming conference rivals? The I ringer don't does know. a lot of good. No, the ringer does a lot of good independent work, and and uh, I've got a lot of time for their writers and their editors because some of their stories are, are are excellent, excellent pieces of journalism. Some of them are, you know, what's the be- who's the best bachelor contestant, but then they also <laughs> have great they have great music journalism and great sports journalism, great pop culture journalism. I don't think that this is any sort of narrative that Simmons as a pro Boston guy is putting up. Hold on, Webby. You know I'm definitely here for the extra pop culture stuff that the Ringer does. I'm here for all the Ringer stuff. My, I think what I was trying to get across was more so just it's a funny coincidence that this right. narrative is being pushed against the Sixers and not against another team. Because I, I just feel like, hey, when we're talking about burner accounts – I feel like there's a lot of people in NBA circles that probably have burner accounts. Well, you know what's funny, too, is that I was reading that uh, Coach K uh, back in 2010, 2012, Mm -hmm. got busted for the same thing. Oh. That he had burner accounts going to kind of follow recruits and stuff. Follow recruits and see what they're up to. Makes sense. I mean, when you break it down, it definitely makes sense. But the, that's part of the that's part of professional sports nowadays. I think that's like, part that's of part of life. Exactly. I was going to say. I bet probably a lot of people in normal everyday work offices. I wouldn't be surprised if they had burner accounts so they could follow what their employees were doing. Right. Like I wouldn't be surprised at any of that. Now the difference here is, I mean, 
they're probably not throwing shade at said employees on those burner accounts. But right. that seat appears to be allegedly and what Brian Colangelo was doing. And again, this started with an article on The Ringer that's titled, The Curious Case of Brian Colangelo and the Secret Twitter Account. It says, a collection of Twitter accounts that has criticized Joel Embiid and Markel Foltz disclosed sensitive information and outlined team strategy shares eye-opening similarities. What does that have to do with the Philadelphia 76ers decision maker? So, Webby, can you, can you give me a little rundown of just what this article entailed, what was going down? Break it down for people who might not have read the full article. Okay, so there are five accounts in question here on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I don't think all of them were actively tweeting, but some of them were. Yeah. Uh, at least two, if not three of them, were tweeting. And they were tweeting not just um, opinions about uh, some people that Brian Colangelo is close to or used to work with, like Masai Ujiri, like a lot of Sixers players and upper management types, but these five accounts all seem to follow the same people yeah. or groups of the same people. And when this reporter at the ringer got this tip, he called the Sixers and said one, uh, one account in particular that uh, was almost kind of confirmed to him as Brian Colangelo. Yeah. He reached out and said, Hey, you know, is this Brian Colangelo? The team responded that, you know, yes, Brian Colangelo does have a, uh, a Twitter account that isn't his name. Mm -hmm. uh, but what really raised the red flags were that these other four accounts all shut down yeah. right after that phone call came in. So this is and a really important part, right? Because it's a, it's a red flag of it all. There are five Twitter accounts. They called and they did this on purpose, which is a genius move, by the way, oh. by the writer. They called the Sixers and let them know, hey, we got a tip that there are two Twitter accounts that kind of seem kind of fishy that they'd lead to or point to Brian Colangelo or someone within the organization. Can you please confirm or deny this? And they noticed that once they sent that message, all five went private. So the other three that they didn't even mention, but they didn't know that the ringer was a, were aware of the other three accounts, but magically those three accounts also went private and stopped tweeting. That is a big red flag here, right? Absolutely. And then the digging started into those other four accounts or five accounts. Yes. What had they been saying? And those tweets were almost more incendiary than the one that had been kind of uncovered that was confirmed as Colangelo's second Twitter. Yeah. These were things like, hey, talking to reporters saying, hey, you're a reporter, you're a blogger. Why don't you ask the team for an interview to talk to Jalil Okafor about his knee. Or <laughs> yes. Masai Ujiri is a trust fund baby, and the only reason he has the job in Toronto is because of XYZ. Yeah. Or no one wants to see Joel Embiid up there at the Meek Mill concert dancing with no shirt on when he should be injured. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that this looks is, is that it's pointing to either Brian Colangelo or someone very close to him trying to push out narratives that Brian Colangelo obviously would not be able to say in front of a microphone to the media, but is trying to point people in certain directions, which, A, makes absolutely no sense at all. Because why would, like, 
a random Twitter account that tells a writer, hey, you should probably ask this question. Why is that writer going to answer that? Like, why, if you're, if, if this was Brian Colangelo, why wouldn't you just use the normal means of leaking stories? Like, isn't that a whole part of how stories and get run in the NBA? No, like teams leak to leak to Woj or leak to whatever different narratives and different storylines to get things out there. Like, isn't that a thing that already happens? Like, why do you, would you need to go to a fake Twitter account and have an egg and think that that's going to be the way that, Hey, uh, injury status on Okafor or injury status on uh, Nerlens Noel. That stuff needs to get out there, but nobody's reporting it. Like I don't well, understand why that's the way you would go about that if you're Brian Colangelo. Because this way, if you're Brian Colangelo, then now you're not seen as a leaker. And then you don't have that reputation around you. But don't we already know that this stuff happened? Right? Like teams, yeah. but just not at this level? Yeah, well, I'm sure it does happen at this level, but then you've still got to keep in mind that your reputation is as a leaker is going to be out there because reporters are going to talk to other reporters. Yeah, reporters are going to talk off the record to with some agents, of their other sources to other agents, and so on yeah. and so so forth. Now, with this anonymity of social media in our life, now if you're Brian Colangelo and you do want to get something out there, you want to get a reporter's attention. This is what you do. It is crazy. And and the other thing is, so there was the stuff you mentioned about, you know, these random Twitter accounts tweeting at reporters and getting into arguments with reporters or getting into arguments with fans about Brian Colangelo's uh, collars. collars. There's a lot of talk about that. It's just really weird. This Eric Jr. account, right? Like, yeah, it's just really odd how this whole thing came about. But the one thing I wanted to bring up too was there's a really big link here, or what I would find interesting as a Raptors fan, there's a huge, huge tie to Toronto, right? It's just all these things, and he's retweeting random tweets of someone saying, uh, a quote tweet of DeMar DeRozan saying, Brian, he loves Brian's swag, swag was on always on 100. <laughs> like, this is just so ridiculous on so many levels. But no, you it, add in the parts where he's going at Masai Ujiri, and I'm just like, the level of petty matches someone who would have a fake burner account. No? Now, are you are you up to date with everything that's happening? Because this is a fluid situation. Oh, what's happened late? Because this afternoon, this evening, mm -hmm. it's come out now that, that a lot of Philly uh, Sixers bloggers and journalists have put together some things with the account. Uh, the the phone number that's uh, been associated with these accounts. Okay, and it leads back to Colangelo's wife. <laughs> the cell phone number. It, it seems like that this is Colangelo's wife who's been running these burner accounts, oh, which kind of makes a little more sense, right? Well, because some of these things that are that you can't imagine, and listen, we know a lot of people who have uh, spent a lot of time with Brian Colangelo, having both worked in Toronto sports media before. Yeah, and and from everything that I read about Colangelo and I've heard from him, this doesn't seem to fit with his personality. Here's the thing, right? Webby. Like I can I can tell you, right? Like I've I talk about it sometimes on this podcast, but not really. But I've covered the NBA for. 10 plus years. And while Brian Colangelo is with the Raptors, I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing Brian Colangelo 
more than on a few occasions. Yeah. And Brian Colangelo is one of the more polished and like just professional dudes you will ever meet, right? And so for him to have a blunder like this is really catching me off guard because it's like, and again, this is all allegedly. We don't know if how like what the relationship is with him and these Twitter accounts, right? But to me, I just can't see someone who was normally in such a very like prim and proper and professional manner get caught up in something like this. From the, from when I first read this, I was like, I don't know if this is him, but I feel like it's someone around him. But it has to be someone close enough that would obviously know the intricate details of certain things that are going on within the, the organization, right? So my assumption was, oh, I think it's got to be his, his son, or I thought it was maybe his dad, right? Like they had the Jerry, tweet. yeah. Because there was one tweet about... About Beijing. Beijing Olympics and Dwayne Wade and Gabby Union and saying that met Gabby Union and she... Or no, he watched her be rude to a, a fan or something in Beijing. Yeah. And Dwayne Wade took to Twitter to say, well, it must not have been, I guess we all look alike because it wasn't me and Gabby Union wasn't even in Beijing. So it's just like, there's so many things going on with this situation, right? And as I said... In my interactions with Brian Colangelo, and I'm telling you, like, no, I'm not exaggerating to like to to boost anything or anything, but I'm saying I've had multiple inter- interactions with Brian Colangelo, and he's a super nice guy, super good guy, seems so professional, and I can't picture him making up multiple fake Twitter accounts to tweet at to tweet dirt on Masai Ujiri like that just seems so weird and so shady and if you don't know like what some of these things are that he said about uh that the fake Eric Jr. account wrote about Masai Ujiri and if you think about it right let's go back because Masai was hired in 2013 to replace Colangelo but before that Colangelo was the one that brought Ujiri aboard as Toronto's director of global scouting and then elevated him to assistant GM right right so then Two years later, after sitting in Denver, Masai comes back, and now you have this Eric Jr. who's tweeting, quote, nothing seems to fall on Ujiri's shoulders. In response, it, this was in February 2017, in response to a column about a bad Raptors loss. In another tweet, the account suggested that Toronto was successful because of players Colangelo had originally brought in, such as Kyle Lowry and DeRozan. Quote, they are falling apart. Because nothing was done to make them a better team. Close quote. They're coasting on trust fund money. Wow. <laughs> then he chafed that Masai Jiri, quote, you were re-signed for 30 plus million this summer. So yes, please Masai, do something. This just reads of like, I can't even picture, and I don't know Brian Colangelo personally. I'm not saying that. My only interactions right. are professional manner. But, I can't picture this man talking like this on a burner Twitter account. That just seems to be the dumbest thing ever. Like I, I can't, I can't believe it. But then again, Webby in 2017 or 2018, shouldn't I believe it? I don't but know what to makes, do here. It, it makes way more sense that it's someone that he knows and is close with and has shared his opinions about things like this. Yeah. You know, it may not be him, but it's definitely somebody close with him. And right now, I mean, the Sixers really only have one option. You have to and fire it's him, to, right? It's to get the Colangelos out of the uh, out of the organization immediately. Not just because 
Colangelo got dunked on by Joel Embiid after this whole thing broke. Oh my with goodness. Joel going into the Twitter accounts, liking every tweet that was negative towards Embiid, and then coming up with one of the greatest tweets of sports in 2018, where he where he was acting like he was tweeting from a burner account and saying that Sam Hankey is smarter and better than Eric Jr. Jr. will ever be. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. But so, I mean, listen, it's it's either it's either it is Colangelo and you have to get him out of there mm-hmm. or it's Colangelo, somebody close to Colangelo. And he's been sharing these secrets and, and doesn't have a handle on who's ever putting these out there uh, in the Twitter sphere. I, I look at the situation and I don't see how a full week will pass and Brian Colangelo will still have his job. Because, again, if it's someone close, here's here's a real thing, too. Right. So the Sixers are launching their own internal investigation into this, right? And really, shouldn't that be really simple? Because if he's using, I'm sure he has a team phone, and I'm sure he uses a team-issued computer. So they could easily look into both those things and see if those passwords or logins or Twitter accounts have ever been linked to any of his things, right? And if I'm him, I'm even handing over my personal phone to show that, hey, this was only mine. This was only my account, not any of the others, right? But the problem is, is that even if he does that, these tweets were still sent out with information that only Colangelo would be privy to, right? Not necessarily, though. It could be still someone close to him, and and I don't know who it could be that he would make the scapegoat, but if it does turn out to be, because I was thinking, again, that it was either his dad or his son, like someone like that, right? And if he came out and said, oh, it was my son, whatever, like he still has to get fired, right? Yeah. And if it's, yeah, it's the same thing because it seems to be that it's it's the wife. Whoa. That is a crazy twist. And I don't even know. Like, allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. Also, there was this, uh, this tweet sent out earlier by Jordan Schultz. And Jordan Schultz works for Yahoo Sports as an insider and is also a co-host of a podcast with CJ McCollum. Uh, but Jordan Schultz says, Brian Colangelo tells me via text, quote, someone's out to get me. This is clearly not me. Colangelo adds that he's, quote, hopeful to resolve this soon. So tons going on here for Ryan Colangelo, and I do not know how this is going to be a thing. Oh, I found this here. I see this now, Webby. Um, this from the Did the Sixers Win account. Yeah. Right? Is this what you were talking about here? And it yeah, says, yeah, 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 Colangelo's yeah. wife, Barbara Bettini, I don't know if I'm pronouncing yeah. that right, has a phone number ending in 91, almost certainly linking her and I'm, I'm reading this tweet off the internet, so I'm going to add an allegedly here. Almost certainly linking, linking her to three of the burner accounts. Now, again, I'm saying allegedly here. Okay, I'm saying allegedly. I'm just reading this off the internet. But this is amazing. It looks like they found an email address. Oh, wow. This is so crazy. This is like it's the deep dive. It's, it's amazing the way that the internet works now. Like, you can't mess up because the internet is going to find you. We're going to find you. The other weird part to all this was that Adrian Wojnarski, who we know is just the man when it comes to anything involving the NBA, he was very quick in terms of putting stuff out there that made it seem like he was also 
pointing his finger at Colangelo. No, there were some a tweets there that were. Uh, so first off, from Woj, he said, uh, "Let's see here." He first had the word from Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid said that Colangelo. He said, "I talked to him, and he said that he didn't say that. He called me just to deny the story. Got to believe him until proven otherwise. If true, that would be really bad." Cool. Next. Uh, Woj said, maybe there's an IT person who can prove it wasn't Brian Colangelo, but here's one of the biggest problems in disputing the ringer story. Those tweets reflected not only private team biz, but launch, but sorry, but launch personal beef slash jealousies slash frustrations that he shared inside and outside the Sixers. Again, right. I'm going to read that again. Those tweets reflected not only private team biz, but launched personal beefs, jealousies, frustrations that he shared, he shared, as in Colangelo, inside and outside the Sixers. So that means these are things that people already knew were floating around, and now you're seeing it pinned to a, tw to a fake Twitter account that allegedly is linked to Colangelo. That, to me, is Woj saying that he's there's rumblings to this, and people are talking, no? Oh, yeah. I don't know. But, still, but, but that's As why a Sixers guy, what do you want to happen here? Uh, you got to fire Colangelo immediately. I'm, I'm surprised that it's taken this long. I mean, this is an embarrassing story to come out for a team, like you said, that's on the ascension. Mm -hmm. And to have your GM involved in a kind of a scandal like this, it's, it's unacceptable. And like I said, even if it wasn't him that was sending the tweets, it's somebody that's close enough to him to understand that these beefs and jealousies and then making them public. And that's something that you just can't have happen. I just saw your tweet right now. Of, <laughs> I'm not even going to, that's amazing. You're hilarious. Um, <laughs> the other thing here with all this, right, that I will say, the other thing that I find super, 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 super interesting here, this discussion, I was listening to a Lebertard show on my way home, and I love the Lebertard show, and I advise, if you love sports fans, if you love sports, but more so if you like fun things, I advise that you listen to the Dan Lebertard show. But they went off on this whole tangent about how Hinky can be behind this, because if you think about it, The Ringer did an article on uh, Hinky a couple years ago, or maybe it was last year, just about what he's up to. And they use the term describing what he's into now is that he works with artificial intelligence. Right. If you go to who the source is on this Ringer story, all it says is the person said they work in artificial intelligence. Now, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people in this world that work in artificial intelligence. I don't know how many people in this world work in artificial intelligence and also have ties to the NBA or would care about the NBA more so the Sixers. But the question lies here, Webby. Could this be a whole like just hinky smear campaign? Because if you break it down, isn't it kind of easy that you could set this up for anyone? Right, like you could I mean, set up burner accounts and make it seem like it's someone else. No, like what I, I, I mean, that just adds a little richness to it. <laughs> it, it I mean, if this is a power play by Hanky, that that would be amazing. But I don't think it's something that's made up because a lot of these were like about Hanky. Yeah. And yeah, about but hey, how, come on, that's just a throw off the scent, right? Oh man, I mean that. <laughs> That's some James Bond level shit, but I mean, it would be amazing if it was Hinky that came to the ringer and you know came up with these algorithms that prove that Brian Colangelo or somebody very cl 
close to him uh, was using these burner accounts. Because the other thing here is, right, it's like, let's say it's Hinky. Let's say he anonymous anonymously goes to the ringer and says, hey, I have all this information. Trust me, just ask them and you'll be able to find out. And then they're like, okay, we're going to ask them. You ask them, you automatically shut down the other accounts at the same time. That looks hella fishy because you would know that they're about to ask the Sixers, no? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying. I just think this whole thing is so crazy and it's hilarious because it sums up the NBA perfectly right now, right? Because there's a gap between when the NBA Finals starts, right? Yeah. And even after two great, great game sevens that would have carried the conversation until the start of the NBA Finals, it's like just in case you were thinking of being bored with the NBA, oh no, here comes a story that you've never heard of before in any other sport. And that's why I love the NBA. It's, it's wild. <laughs> and, and, and like I say, it's a fluid situation. This thing is not over by a long shot. It is not over by a long shot at all. But Webby, Speaking of things that are not over by a long shot. I thought you were going to say speaking of things that are over by a long shot. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It remains to be seen how things are going to go here. And I mean, sometimes we have to make a stretch to find something to talk about in our Ask On Blast segment. And sometimes, you know, things are pretty easy. We enjoyed the show Atlanta. So that took up most of the conversation. Something else we also enjoy is hip-hop music. And what a week it's been in hip-hop. And of course, we're talking about Drake versus Meek Mill. No, we're talking about Drake versus Pusha T. Another rapper that I feel like mainstream media doesn't really know about, and so they don't really understand the inner workings of what's going on. I would say that Push definitely has a little more public clout than Meek did. You Uh, think so? Just because of the the clips? Yeah. I I mean... Maybe I was right in the right age demographic, and you were too, but I remember the clips being a huge deal well, in like 2004, 2005. Well, they definitely were everywhere because of that huge, that verse Grinding they put on the Justin Timberlake's first breakout hit, right? That was massive. Yeah. But for those that are unaware, uh, the clips were made up of Malice and Pusha T. Malice no longer raps because he's found God. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah, that's right. That leaves Pusha T to carry the tor- the torch of the drug rap, which I mean, which listen, we've discussed, and listen, this is the rap that I really love <laughs> is, the, is the, the rapping about cocaine, and there's very few out there who do it better than Pusha T and Malice back in the day. But for now, Pusha T and Pusha dropped. Uh, the other thing is Pusha dropped an album. This past week. Which is now, fire. Not only that, Shelly, but can we talk about how great it is to have a seven-track album with seven amazing songs? I know that we're not allowed to say right now that this was a great idea by Kanye West or whoever came up with this whole thing. But Kanye's album is about to drop on Friday. Friday. And so I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Are there seven albums that are coming out in success? Every other Friday for seven weeks. So I know that there's there's Push, there's Kanye, there's Kanye and Cuddy, and then there's Nas. There's Nas, there's Tiana Taylor, and someone else. Someone else, too. But anyways, 
bottom line is Pusha T's album came out last Friday. Pusha T's album is fire. Fuego. It's called Daytona. And first off, it grabbed all the headlines because it was released that Kanye decided to pay a whole lot of money for a picture that showed Whitney Houston's uh, bathroom, which was filled with drugs. And yeah. yeah. So that was the first way that this kind of gained the mainstream chat. But following that, the reason why people were so into this album was because the last song on said album by King Push was just a straight, direct shot at Drake, at Lil Wayne, and Lil Wayne, baby, and baby, and Cash Money, and everything that goes along with all of them. Now, which has been going on for a while, it has been, and that's a part that I think people miss here, right? This started, I want to say, in like 2006 when uh, Pusha T would just keep taking shots. And the thing was, he'd be calling out exactly what Baby was doing and just saying that, you know, Drake, who are you trying to talk to? You're signed to another dude who's signed to another dude who's signed to another dude, right? And it's, it's just been a thing that has been going on for a long, long time. But it led us to this point, which was Friday. So the album Daytona comes up comes out sorry the album daytona comes out and the last song is called infrared and it's just straight flames by push T. <laughs> and that was yeah. a thing that i thought a lot of people didn't really take in because just the references that he was making talking about how he took how away he, from no i was gonna say the references that he was making where he's comparing trump's presidency to drake's reign over the rap game and them right. being popular for just like not really being that good whether or not you think that is true or not the way that he broke that down to me was so dope and Pusha T is a, a he's a rapper's rapper like he's a spitter right and yeah. to to compare this to Meek Mill follow me here webs to compare this to Meek Mill i think the thing that was wrong with Meek Mill was Meek Mill has his own separate flow and his own separate flow over certain beats and unless you're a hip hop head it's going to take you a second to grasp what Meek Mill's saying. So right. he was already at a disadvantage against Drake. Push made sure that, no, 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 I'm going to get a nice slow beat, and I'm going to rap nice and slow, and you're going to hear every single shot yeah. that I send Drake's way. So following that, it went from that to Drake responding on a duppy freestyle, which, made, which sent, I want to say, popular culture to... Uh, Urban Dictionary to figure out what the meaning of the word duppy is. Yeah, and and listen, <laughs> like back to back, you know, Drake did a great job yes. with that freestyle. He he, uh, like you said about Push, like he made those raps very accessible. You could hear what he's saying. You could understand what he was going at on Push about about not being a real drug dealer, mm -hmm. about selling Nikes and Mercedes sometimes, but you know, not being true to his word. Yes, basically calling out Pusha T, who on his new album says that there's no other rapper that sold more drugs than him other than Easy E, and then Drake yeah, comes out which and is Drake, an awesome line. which is a great line. Yes, um, the only rapper that sold more drugs than me is Easy E. I think that's the line. Yeah, and then Drake comes out saying that he's not really the one that sold the drugs. It was all his brother and one of their cousins, and so they're just going back and forth. But I would say, follow me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong. But most people think that Drake won that round. People, yeah, people thought that Drake uh, really brought it to Pusha T. They 
They said, you know, wow, Drake's one of the better battle rappers out right now in popular in popular hip hop, which drives me nuts. To like, be honest, I disagree. Be- I thought both songs were equally good. I liked that both of them were good. I thought they both had great punchlines. Uh, they both did a good job of going at real facts. And the only yeah. reason why I hesitated on saying that Drake won was because I felt like most of the body blows that Drake hit in the Duppy freestyle were aimed at Kanye. Right. And so right. He did go after Kanye. If most of your shots are aimed at Kanye, how are you beating Pusha T in a in a in a beef, a rap beef? That didn't really make sense to me. No, you're absolutely right. So while the whole world is waiting, thinking, wondering, pondering if Pusha T is going to come back. Boy, did Pusha T come back last night. Holy. So first of all, let's talk about the 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 cover art. For the diss track <laughs> of Drake in blackface, yes, from a from a photo shoot, you know, years ago, before he's Drake, obviously, we're seeing young Drake, probably Degrassi Drake, right? We're seeing him in blackface, and then he's all happy, like in a typical uh, blackface actor's smile yeah. that you would normally see. But then Big in the picture lips, beside yeah. it you would see him sad, and that picture's in black and white. So it's an obvious take trying to say, this is the the presenter, but this is what this person's like in real life. They're sad and whatever, and it's supposed to be some form of art, but I say, screw your art, because you're in blackface, and what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I, I it's not a good look, no matter if you're black, white, uh, half I just black, think that, Asian. I just don't think that you know, blackface is really where... You know, uh, maybe uh, not a good idea. I just think it's one of those things where I just think it's one of those things where, you know, hey, if I dress up as whatever, something stupid for Halloween, right? Which I mean, hey, I've done before for sure. Right. But my point is, if I dress up as something for Halloween and then 10 years down the road, someone pops up this picture and now my context is, well, it was really this or this or this. It doesn't matter. That picture of me. I still look like a moron. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's really no way to talk your way out of it. And that's what what turned the conversation on Twitter. It was pretty interesting to me because I felt like the Drake stands were just looking for reasons to discredit what Pusha T was saying or what Pusha T was doing. And it started with that photo. It started with that photo, but there's a lot else that was going on there. But yeah, let's start with the photo. That was bad. There were three things, okay, in the song. Mm-hmm. There's A... Uh, your dad left when you were five. He wears Steve Harvey suits, and <laughs> your mom's always been sad your entire life. Which is just shots fired. There's your OVO buddy, uh, 40, has MS, and he doesn't have long to live. Which is just, uh, yeah, that's a vicious blow by Pusha T. <laughs> that Jeez. is super vicious. And then the big one at the end was Drake has an illegitimate son with a french porn star and his name is adonis and drake's rolling him out with an adidas launch supposedly Pusha t did an interview on the breakfast club this morning and in that he said that uh in the interview he said that drake was about to do his adidas rollout and his adidas rollout whatever his his line is going to be for adidas was going to be named after his son that's what Pusha t said whether all that's true, I guess we'll find out at some point. 
I mean, my phone hasn't blown up yet, so I assume Drake hasn't responded or there's no new information at the time that we're recording this pod, this podcast. Right. But, but again, like the Colangelo situation, it's fluid. It is very fluid. And I mean, I'll be honest, when I listened, when I listened to the story of Adnan, is that what it's, how, what is this song called? The story of uh, Adidon? Adon, Adidon? Yes, the story of Adidon, right? So when I listened to it, Webby, I can't even lie. I got midway through and I stopped it. And I was like, oh my God. Yo, Push went straight for the jugular. There's no joking around. There was no like, you know, joke, joke. Like he was like, I'm just going to keep it to the facts. And he's just going in about Drake allegedly being a deadbeat dad. And I thought that was like, you know, the question now turns to, can you go too far in a rat beef? Right. What do you think? No. <laughs> Quick answer from Webby there. Bro, we <laughs> came up in the days of hit him up. Right? Exactly. Exactly. You can't go, you can't go too far in a rat beef. You know why? Because two of the greatest rappers of all time were killed in a rap beef. Yeah. You can't go further than that over the line. The thing, too, is that, you know, my biggest fear with this whole thing was that the think piece was going to come today from, like, the Huffington Post or BuzzFeed or somewhere Of, like, why this rap battles in general are problematic or something? Yeah, or, like, uh, can this rap beef go too far? Did Pusha T go too far? And someone was going to make the link between that and, like, a comic going too far as if those two genres are even remotely close to being the same thing. You well, know the I mean? MS the MS Association of America came out against Pusha T. I read that. Uh, oh, that I didn't, I didn't see that. Wow. Yeah, saying that MS is nothing to make fun about. Well, I mean, and while that might be true, uh, I thought it was still a pretty fire line. I mean, the fact that I mean, people forget about no Vaseline. People forget about you know what I mean. Like, there's so many things that, yeah. that people forget about now, right? And they. It was funny when what was a movie? What was it? Was a straight out of Compton? I was about to say, yeah. what was it? Straight out of Compton movie called? But uh, <laughs> people forget that scene, right? And I feel like a lot of people were introduced to that whole sort of beef type rap culture from that movie, right? Do you know what I mean? Because they witnessed a scene that was made. It was made very Disney like of them sitting around listening to Ice Cube's diss of Eazy-E, right? And N.W.A. And I feel like. There are no rules. It's hip hop. It's rap, right? And like nobody's saying that you're condoning what ended up happening to Big or Pac, but some of the best moments in hip hop history, like Jay and Nas, like that's a part of my childhood. No, like I remember it's that. Part that of, was everything. It's part of the genre. For sure. It's, it's part of hip hop is going at somebody who you think is lesser than you and using your skills to tell the world about it. I mean, that's. It's part of the machismo of, of hip hop and rap music as we've grown to know it. And I'm happy that these two guys are going at each other. I'm excited to hear what Drake has to say. I'm excited to hear what Push T has to say about what Drake has to say. The other beauty of this all is just the way that the internet works, right? And how everything was linked. So you mentioned the picture, right? So obviously he's taking the 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 artwork of this blackface character, but the fact that he took that and then decided that he was going to do this freestyle over the story of OJ track, which obviously Jay-Z was one of the song of the year candidates, right? I don't think it won song of the year, right? It didn't win. 
but it was wow, nominated for Song of the Year at and the it Grammys. Had a great video. Had a great video that also touched on a lot of the same issues of blackface and sort of that era of uh, comedy of people quote unquote mocking black culture, like the very uh, exaggerated lips and you know, it's it's just the way that Pusha T put this all together was reminiscent of what Drake did to Meek Mill on Back to Back. Yeah. Right? The same way that the theme of Back to Back and the album art of Joe Carter hitting the home run against the Phillies and Meek Mill's from Philly. Like, just the way that this was all calculated by Pusha T was pretty crazy. But then, on top of that, at the end of the day, bars. Bars. Like, Drake was the one that came out and mentioned in Drake's uh, Duppy Freestyle, he mentions Pusha T's uh, wife or fiance. And then yeah. Pusha T comes back saying, since you name drop my fiance, <laughs> let him know who you chose as your Beyonce. Sophie knows better, for those unaware. Sophie is the name of the woman, the lovely lady, who is allegedly ba- Drake's baby mom. Sophie knows better was also the name of her Instagram account before it went private when this flooded the internet last night. But Sophie knows better as your baby mother cleaned her up for IG, but the stench is still on her. A baby's involved. It's deeper than rap. We're talking character. Let me keep it with the facts. You are hiding a child. Again, I respond. I repeat. You're hiding a child. Let that boy come home. Deadbeat motherfucker playing Border Patrol. Adonis is your son, and he deserves more than an Adidas press run. That's real. Love that baby. Respect that girl. Forget she's a porn star. Let her be your world. And then in the hardest bar ever, he just yeah. goes, yeah. <laughs> like so hard. And I felt that, that in my soul, Webby. I can't I even know. lie. I felt that in my I, soul. The yeah <laughs> at the end was it, bro. It's. <sighs> it. I, I had to turn it off after that. I said, oh, my God. What should Drake do? Yeah. Should he respond, Webby? got it i mean <laughs> even after back to back meek responded with that listen i'm a huge meek meal fan but listen you don't use the undertaker gong for your beat when you come back <laughs> on a diss track yeah it, it wasn't great it and, wasn't. and and listen the worst thing he can do is not respond because then he definitely takes the l you at least have to show up and go through the paces so uh van lathan who people might remember from TMZ in the Kanye video. He was a brother at TMZ who uh, went back at Kanye. He tweeted earlier this afternoon, I'm going to bring it up, that, and again, the reason why this is relevant is because TMZ, if you remember, TMZ did report this story last May that the same woman uh, reached out to them saying that she was pregnant with Drake's baby and Drake had sent her, no, sorry, She was pregnant with Drake's baby, and she was trying to send TMZ a text message conversation with Drake acknowledging it and telling her to have an abortion. So TMZ was on this story like last May about Drake having this, allegedly having this kid, right? So Van Lathan this afternoon tweeted out, have it on an incredibly good source that Drake is about to, quote, deal with the situation. Now, the first comment under that, says by deal with the situation do you mean the diss track or the kid please advise <laughs> <laughs> and he means a diss track um 
I don't know. This is crazy, but I all I can say, Webby, is what a week for hip hop because, as I said, Kanye's about to drop on Friday. Uh, hip hop is waiting here on the response. Yeah, man. Dope hip-hop lines, dope disses. I'm here for all of it. I love this. And the NBA Finals are here too. But you know what, though, Webby, the only thing I don't like about this that I, I want to say, and I'm, I'm going to get on a soapbox here for just a second here before we end this podcast. The one part I'm not here for, listen, if you don't know who Pusha T is and you're not down with rap beefs, that's okay. You don't need to talk about this. You don't need to get involved in this. You don't need to do a story on this on your TV show or on your, you know, your website or whatever. Like, that's okay if you don't know about this. It's okay. You don't have to comment about it. You don't have to give your take about it. Leave this to the people who know about hip hop music, who know about Pusha T. Because if you don't know about the clips and grinding, you need to get your Googles up. Not only that, it, yeah, if you don't know about the, the beef that Wayne and Baby and the Clips had going back to what happened to that boy, it's like you're missing the whole kind of background of everything that this beef comes from. And you're missing yeah. not just a chapter of the story, you're missing part one. It's it's so true. And, he, and again, there's a difference between the people who want to learn and want to know more. And I, I get that. And I'm fully here to explain to you and help you and do all that. My beef is with the, this whole era of the news, like actual news. Like I saw like CBS News tweet out a link to a story of Pusha T comes back with a, a rap for Drake. And I was like, hold on, stick to the doing the news. Like, this is not news. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want right. to see this on CP24. I don't want to see this on like some mainstream media dude show because you don't know what you're talking about. That's all. Sorry. Rant over. Apology. I'm sorry. I'm done. Put it out there. I'm about to be happy again because more music is coming. And as you said, the NBA Finals is coming. And we're going to be here to talk about it next week. Right, Webby? Absolutely, and hopefully we got ourselves a series on our hands. For sure, but in the meantime, if I want to get your take on, you know, this Meek, why do I keep saying Meek Mill? <laughs> this Pusha T versus Drake rap beef, or on Roseanne, or on the NBA Finals, where can I find you, Webby? Where can the people hit you up? Well, one of my, you can always find me on one of my many burner accounts that I roll <laughs> with, uh, but the main one is at AWebster84 on Twitter and on Instagram. Well, I was thinking of making my burner accounts public. No, I don't have a burner account. <laughs> my burner account would be too lit. Yo. Yeah, it would be too My lit. burner account would have... Yeah, my burner... I used to use my regular account as a burner account. It got <laughs> me a little bit of trouble. <laughs> my burner account would definitely be more successful on Twitter than my actual account. I'll just say <laughs> that. But if you do want to follow me for some mildly hot takes, you can find me on Twitter at shell alexander and on instagram at sheldon alexander and again if you like what you hear like and subscribe either on youtube on itunes on soundcloud let us know what you think because we are the ball on blast podcast as always unpolished and unapologetic until next time see ya this is ball on blast part of the on blast podcast network Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you like it, then subscribe and tell your friends. Holla.